You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Uh-oh, guess what day it is. Guess what day it is. Huh? Anybody? Mike, 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 Mike. What day is it, Mike? <laughs> Welcome to Earth Station One, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Hey there, listeners. Welcome to another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. That's right, folks. We are going into the future and we are going to be looking at the 60th anniversary of the Jetsons. That's right, folks. George, Judy, and of course, Jane and Elroy and Cosmo. We can't forget Cosmo. So that's pretty awesome. So it's going to be a lot of fun to talk all about it. We got a great crew to do it. And, you know, as we always like to say at the end of our show, every episode, Jane, get me off this crazy thing. So it'll be a ton of fun. It should be great. And this man who has his office in his briefcase all the time is, of course, Mr. Mike Gordon. Howdy. You know, that it's so cool that your office folds right up into a briefcase. It's pretty awesome. Office? You mean his car? Well, his office also fits in there, too, because, you know, it's all compact. Everything, everything fits in a suitcase and everything is done on the push of a button. Exactly. We're not, we're not quite there yet. So it's still the future, still the space age. Yeah. The scary thing is the Jetsons takes place in 2062. 2062. So we are literally 40 years away from it. I had, uh, I had no idea. They, uh, yeah, I didn't know that they had a date associated with them. I just thought it was the future. So it's funny. It is funny. It's just the future. But, you know, I'm still waiting for my flying car. And, you know, Dr. Scott is guaranteeing that in our lifetime we will have flying cars. So Wow. That's a, that's a pretty bold statement. Well, he's hoping I live to at least 100. So we will see. <laughs> so we will definitely see what's up with that. So it should be kind of fun. And you know what? would love, definitely would love to hear from you guys at home feedback at our station one is the way to get in touch with us and for everybody who's been checking out our new youtube station thank you thank you thank you it's a new experiment that we're doing we have the earth station one youtube channel and we are putting up our main topic and our interviews that we do for the geek seat or just interviews and talking to people and we are going to Going forward, have a lot of fun stuff going up there. It's going to be a little growing pains as we, you know, change up formats a little bit and change up the look and feel, maybe even, you know, lighting and stuff as we get used to doing more and more video. But it should be a ton of fun and you'll be able to actually see us mess up because those episodes up on YouTube are completely unedited, folks. That's right. You know, when you listen to Earth Station One, we take out a lot of the ums, the errs, the stutters, or even a lot of times, you know, if we mess up a word or I mess up, you know, what I'm saying, go da 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 da. You know, that's a lot of times taken out of the audio version, but that will be up on the video. It'll be up there, you know, see the best of Mike and Mike, as we like to say. It'll be a ton of fun. And definitely check it out. Go up to YouTube and just type in Earth Station One. Our channel pops right up. Made sure of that already. So definitely, we've had two episodes up there, and now this episode will be up there too now. So each week we'll be posting it, and it'll be a ton of fun because we have Halloween stuff coming up. So, you know, 
coming up soon. We have the countdown starting, and that's all going to be up on YouTube. Should be very cool with that. Also, of course, we want to say thank you to our patrons. If you get a chance, you know, why not sign up? We have a couple new patrons for, as of Dragon from DragonCon and such. And you know what? We've had some great people sign up. Thank you so much for those who have. And you don't even have to do a ton. Just do a dollar a month. We would really appreciate it. And you get some exclusive stuff and you help support the ESO network. And luckily, Earth Station One is part of that. So please check us out. Go to patreon.com slash ESO network. And of course, let's give a big thank you to our friends over at Tifosi Optical. Tifosi Optical is plugging away. And as fall is starting to crank up, they still got really cool sunglasses and all other kind of glasses too. Check it out. You could check out some really cool styles, some stuff for blue light blocking glasses, safety goggles, um, exercise glasses, and of course, sunglasses. Check it out. And as a way of saying thank you, you can also get a nice little coupon for 10% off your order. All you have to do is put in Earth Station One. Shows them that you're listening to us, that you're helping support Tifosi Optics. And you know what? It's a pretty cool pair of glasses that you will get out of it. And just not one pair your whole order, you'll get the 10% off. Check it out, tofuzzyoptics.com. And now we're here with new friend of the show, author Nandy Taylor. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Welcome to the station. Uh, we're glad to have you. For those people who may not be familiar with you and your work, tell us a little bit about what you do. Yeah, I am uh, an author of primarily fantasy romance. And I have my uh, my debut novel here, Given which was published awesome. by Wattpad Books. Um, it started off as a Wattpad uh, novel. And it was one of the first books to, to um, be published by their, um, their publishing house. And uh, so it's a story of um, an island princess whose father gets ill. So she has to travel north um, to find a, uh, a cure. And while she's there, she faces uh, culture shock, prejudice, and meets a brash, shape-shifting dragon. Uh, who claims that he is her destined mate. And that goes about as well as you would think. Uh, and it's just a story <laughs> of like um, growth and, and uh, it's got like redemption arcs, um, magic, magic awesome. academy, all that. Fun stuff. <laughs> have you, uh, have you always been uh, attracted to fantasy stories? Like from a young Absolutely. age? Yeah. I would what, what's, what would say maybe favorites? I'm sorry, say that again. Uh, so what were some of your favorites growing up? Well, I would I'd say my uh, love affair with fantasy began as a very young kid when my parents would read fairy tales to me. So I had uh -huh. this huge book of like fairy and folk tales from around the world. And it was this, it's this gorgeous illustrated book, um, illustrated in Italy, I think. I don't know how it made it to me in, in Canada, but um I would read that thing over and over and pick out all my favorite stories from different countries. And it was, it was really magical. So that's, that's where I got my fantasy start was with like fairy tales, Grimm's fairy tales and uh, that kind of thing. And then wow. I think it, yeah, it progressed to, uh, so they, they got me early. <laughs> and then one of my favorite things as a kid was going to the library with my dad. Um, I guess that, that was where he would take me to, it was, you know, nice, cheap free way of keeping me entertained sure sure the, i, I grew up with libraries so. yes mm -hmm. yeah the um as far as 
Okay, so that's interesting because, yeah, if like if you're looking at a European, like the Grimm's European style of uh, fairy tales are very different than what we usually read as at least what I grew up with is because they were very cleaned up is, is the American versions. Mm-hmm. Is that is that did you get the sort of closer the, to the real versions? The European, I think the so. Weird? Yeah. Looking back, I'm like this. Some some of the stories I'm like, this was for kids. <laughs> <laughs> right that's what i was thinking like some of those are, like i mean some of they're called I, grim like, for I a reason it. i think right <laughs> like i remember one one that stands out to me um was a russian fairy tale about uh a woman a princess named vasilisa the wise and um there was a prince who wanted to marry her and she told him okay you have to have a trade um and, and she gave him all this like uh advice i can't remember all of it but um he got like kidnapped on the road and she, she told him to learn a trade. So he learned how to, I don't know, I think it was sew or something. Mm-hmm. And the kidnappers, um, they took everyone who had no trade and like boiled them in, in a big pot or something like that. As you do. And he escaped because he learned how to do something. He had like a use and because the princess told him to do that. Um, it was wild. It was wild. Some of the stories in there. It was really dark. Those tales, just when I read them to my son when he was younger, he's like, Dad, these aren't like Disney. No. <laughs> Not no. at all. Not at all. So um, so when did you make the transition from reading stories and enjoying stories to wanting to author them, write them? Was that from a young age as well? Yeah, I, re- I remember my first um, real writing was when I was in grade three, so about eight years old. Mm-hmm. Um, at the height of Power Rangers, I used to, we used to have creative writing hour every day after lunch at school. And I used to just write Power Rangers fan fiction. I didn't mm-hmm. know it was fan fiction at the time, or I don't think, sure. I'm not sure if there was even that term, but I was just you know, writing my little stories about Power Rangers and me being a Power Ranger too. And that started it all. Wow. And so this is, you said your first novel, your first published novel? Yes. Awesome. That is that. That's awesome. Um, and and talk about the origins of this. Like, has this been brewing the story brewing in your head for a while, or or what was in, the inspiration for giving it? Um, I think it was because I liked. Uh, <laughs> I I came up in the the uh, Twilight era, so okay. <laughs> back in the day, you know, we were all reading Twilight and then Vampire Diaries and like paranormal romance was the vibe um and so but when I would read those stories there weren't there weren't any black protagonists at all Mm -hmm. um and I think I wanted to write one a story that centered um a black female character because that is something I had never seen and um in the words of the late great Maya no not Maya Angelou it's Toni Morrison who said this he's like yeah if you um if the book you want to read doesn't exist, then write it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's what I did. Um, and that, and then I, I, uh, I wanted to kind of write something that was so like over the top that it was obvious that it was kind of satirical, you know, okay. because we have this, this uh, faded mates trope that um, is quite popular, but can get very toxic. 
And I wanted to take that and play with it a bit and and kind of um, have, you know, the, the main character, the male love interest, his friends kind of call him out a little bit um, and then have a, a woman who doesn't just fall for, for his toxicity, you know, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. And someone who, and it was a, a great opportunity to write a growth arc, right? Somebody realizing the error of their ways and, and growing is this is this seen by you as a, a one-time story or a world that you definitely want to continue on with? At the at the moment, I've kind of let it be because I don't know how to continue it. Okay. Um, it's it's open ended. It could continue, but I'm I'm pretty content with where it is now. Okay. That's that's actually really refreshing because there's so many things now that are like franchise. We're getting franchises and franchises and franchises on top of franchises. It's kind of nice to to just enjoy like just a simple story, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. The uh, oh man, when I saw the the uh, the books online, the covers of them, man, they they look uh, they look gorgeous. Actually, the there's one that's uh, it almost I almost thought it was going to be a graphic novel because it looks has a graphic novel look to it, um, mm-hmm. and uh, it looks really really cool. So if I'm judging a book by its cover, I will say that they look really awesome. <laughs> on what head? <laughs> yeah, if the, if I'm looking if I'm looking at the covers and I'm judging them by the covers, they look really yeah. awesome. Oh, they go did you, have, did you have a, did you have a say in that or? I did. I did. Okay. Yeah. I was uh, consulted on the cover. So I'm pretty That's happy. That's very with cool. With yeah. That. We got our dragon and our princess and those are her. She does magic using these runes that she draws on her skin to call like on wind and fire and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, and I, so, actually... uh, and the book is available now. Yeah. It's, it's available uh, online and in bookstores. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we will definitely have a link in our show notes to the books as well as the, uh, the website. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, yeah, let's Mike, now that we found out about her book and what she's, she's written, let's find out what, where our passions are. Let's uh, let's do those geek seat. Oh, I think she's ready for it. I think, you know, <laughs> I think so. <laughs> she, you know, she has all this fantasy built up and everything. Let's find out what she geeks out about a little bit. All right. Nadia, Nanda. Are you ready for your first question? I sure am. All right. What was your favorite geek out moment? I think it was a recent moment when uh, Zelda Breath of the Wild just uh, dropped the trailer for the second one. Oh, really? Yep. A couple days ago. And I will be first in line to buy that. Did you love the first one? I sure did. It's my favorite game of all time. Really? All time. I've been a Zelda fan since I was a kid. Um, another one of those core memories. My dad would play it at night and then I'd have to go to bed and he'd keep playing it without me. Uh, that was a link to the path, the Super Nintendo one. Mm-hmm. Just kind of giving away my my age here. but <laughs> I It's amazing with Breath of the Wild. I never realized how large of a land it was. It just kept mm-hmm. on going and going. And it was, it was just so much fun and everything. Yep. My son was like looking at me like, dad that's my game it's like no i'm playing it now i love it (laughs) i'm looking forward to the second one also what was your most disappointing geek out moment though uh i would say when i saw valerian and the city of a thousand planets because 
Um, the Fifth Element, who is also directed by uh, Luc Besson, is one of my favorite movies of all time. And I had such high hopes for Valerian, and it was it was just meh. That's me. awesome. No, I could understand that. I, you're not the only one who heard, said that about that movie mm. and everything. And it had so much high hopes because it was such a wonder. Fifth Element was such a wonderful film, mm-hmm. and it it kind of from the trailer it seemed like it had the same kind of vibe and everything, but nowhere even close. As a as a writer, I will say the the plot of the Fifth Element makes no sense <laughs> none but it's it's still the most amazing movie it's just so campy and you can't help but like it oh sure no totally makes sense but the, I've, I've never seen anything that's my goal in life to com- to be able to create something that with that level of camp that, and charm you know that just regardless of, of if the plot makes any sense people just fall in love with it no, it totally makes There's sense. There's so many examples of that. Oh, very much so. What geeks you out the most? These days, I'd say a good a good game. Mm. Love gaming. Are um, you into more board gaming or more of the video games? Definitely video games, choice based games, uh, open world games like Breath of the Wild. Sure. Um, my new favorite franchise is uh, Horizon Zero Dawn. Oh really? Uh, yeah, that one. I I I remember like um, losing sleep playing the first one because I just had to know what the story was, and it's this kind of post-apocalyptic world, um, and I wanted to know how did we get here, and it's just so visually appealing, and it's just a, a whole experience. And um, the second one came out like a few months ago, and I spent a lot of time. More time than I care to admit. <laughs> oh, that's I tell awesome. myself it's it's uh, research. I'm research. learning. Research. Research. That's oh, good. Yeah. Good. You know that already. Good. Then yeah. you could also do it as a write-off too, which is even better. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And you could even charge off your time. And it's like, I'm doing research right now. Don't bother me. Don't bother me. Yeah, I'm me. learning how to craft stories mm-hmm. that are incredible. <laughs> that's awesome. That is awesome. What turns your geek off? Um, anything math related? <laughs> I could understand. Andy, I am so there with you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, numbers mean nothing to me. Yeah, my brain just shuts off if I have to. I'm I'm down to. I can't even do like long division anymore. So don't ever <laughs> ask anybody. You know, ask for you to do your checkbook or anything like. That. No, no. What's a checkbook? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Now we're feeling old. Thanks. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I got a few more gray hairs there. Exactly. What fictional character would you like to meet the most? Ooh. But I like to meet mm-hmm. fictional character. Yeah. That is a that, that's a harder question than it than it seems. <laughs> um I might, you know what? I might want to meet my own character that I wrote and mm. see what I, what my writing did to her, what trauma it caused. No, <laughs> but it might be fun to interview your own characters. I think it could give you an insight to, to who you are as a person. Sure, of course. It'd be like this, this kind of like meta therapy thing where you could ask them questions and see how they answer and be like that 
came from my subconscious. Hmm. Awesome. 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 What fictional character would you not like to meet though? The Joker. Number one answer. (laughs) Man, it comes up so much. Yes. That is awesome. That is awesome. That is what what geek word, phrase, quote, or pose is your favorite? Geek quote oh like a meme? Whatever. Yeah. This is your this is your I'm segment. gonna I'm gonna look back on this. This is one of those things. Why would you do this to me? Because I'm gonna go back t- tonight <laughs> and be like, I should have said this. Um <laughs> It's probably a, some kind of Simpsons quote. Of course. Some Simpsons quote. Got it. <laughs> I can't no think. Of, there's, too, there's too many. I can't think of a specific one. Okay. So right now we'll go. Don't. Okay. That's fine. <laughs> okay. What is your ideal geek occupation? Sorry. I didn't catch that. My ideal. Geek occupation. Oh, well, writing. <laughs> writing fantasy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but if I wasn't a fantasy writer, um, maybe cosplayer. That mm. looks fun and seems to be growing in popularity, especially with the, you have cosplayer influencers now buying Bugattis and mansions from all their uh, view money and sponsorships. Mm-hmm. No, of course. Totally makes sense. What geek occupation would you not like to do, though? Game tester. Oh, of course. <laughs> I've uh, I've heard that that's a lot worse than it sounds because you're just playing this game over and over and over again, trying to break it, and it might not be even be a good game. You've got to play it like twenty times to find gotcha. all the the bugs in it. Uh, yep, yeah. I've known some testers. Oh yeah, uh, very much so. They're, they're unusual people. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good way to put it. They're unique. <laughs> unique is a better word for it. Unique is okay. a very much better. All right. Nandy Taylor, are you ready for your final question in the geek seat? Okay. This is for all the marbles. This is going to make everything either perfect or it's going to go right down. All right. <laughs> Nandy, what is your ultimate geek fantasy? Oh, um, I think I, I already experienced something like this. Like just going on like a a geek vacation um so I got to be part of the writing excuses cruise uh a couple years which is a a cruise for fantasy writers um that's uh, hosted by the host of the writing excuses podcast um and it was just a bunch of like geeky writers and all on vacation on a cruise together um and then there was there was a cosplay night as well um and that was that was just so much fun to like be around my people. Oh, that is wow. awesome! Was it, was it purely a vacation, or was there like seminars? No, there were there or... were writing workshops and and stuff okay, like gotcha. that, which were fun as well, informative. So. That is awesome. That is really awesome. Yeah. So geek vacation. Geek geek vacation. Wow. That's your final answer. Preferably with the the beach involved. Of course, <laughs> the beach always has to be involved, which is awesome. So, Nandy Taylor, I've got some great news for you. You've made it through the geek seat. Congratulations. Huzzah, huzzah. Huzzah, Mr. Mike Gordon. Tell the young lady what she's won. 
You have won a lifetime subscription to the ESO Network, a value easily worth $68.08. But <laughs> since since we both don't do numbers very well, I wouldn't really bank on that much. Uh, yeah, so. Um, but it has been great having you on the podcast. Again, tell people where they can get your book yeah. and find out more about what you're up to. Yeah, so this uh, we got her on Amazon, um, Barnes Noble, Indigo, uh, and I'm uh, my website is www.nandytaylor.com, and uh, I've got Instagram, Twitter, all those things. Though I don't update as much, just for I'm doing a, a hiatus for real. <laughs> and gotcha, people like gotcha. to say they're going on hiatus, but I've I've been on hiatus for for months, and it's been. I, are, are, so is it a hiatus before? While you work to a, another book, a second book? Yes, I've been uh, uh, working on short stories, uh, other books, um, grants. Awesome. Day job. Awesome. So definitely uh, keep an eye on Mandy because there's more stuff to come. So we are glad to have you with us. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll have you back when uh, there's other stuff. Very cool. That is awesome. Thank you for joining us tonight. Let's take a quick break and we will be back in a moment. And we are going to be talking all about the 60th anniversary of the Jetsons. Hi, this is Ashley Pauls with this week's box office buzz. I don't know about you, but I feel like there are so many shows coming out on streaming that it's hard to keep up with all of them. But first, we're going to tackle new movies in the theater, and then we'll catch up on streaming. The big movie coming out in theaters this weekend has drawn attention a lot for its off-screen drama, which is Don't Worry Darling, which is a mystery thriller directed by Olivia Wilde. And I feel like this movie at least from the trailers I've seen, has a very Twilight Zone vibe about a woman whose husband is part of this top secret project and they live in this community where weird things are happening, kind of mind-bending reality. You're not sure what's real, what might be in her head, what not. I was interested in this movie, but it's not exactly getting rave reviews from critics. Rotten Tomatoes calls it a mostly muddled rehash of overly familiar themes, which is a shame because it looks really interesting and... This movie has had so much drama surrounding it, I'm not even going to get into it, of supposed beefs between cast members, scandals, things and the like going on. So I probably won't be going to the theater to see this one just based on the so-so reviews, but maybe if it's on streaming. And speaking of streaming, man, there is a lot to see these days. We have House of the Dragon going on over at HBO, and I'm really pleased with the series so far. I really enjoy it. Intriguing characters. And I feel like there's some good action, but they're taking a lot of time to really dig into these characters and the political scheming happening. So I'm just really invested in the show. I'm excited about it. We have Lord of the Rings over on Amazon Prime. I feel like this is a series I'm warming up to. I'm not, oh my gosh, immediately I'm in love with it. But I feel like it's decently entertaining and it's going to grow into something more. Um, She-Hulk over on Disney Plus. That's going on lately. And then we have the new premiere of the Rogue One prequel Andor. I am super hyped about this show. I really like the movie Rogue One. And while generally prequels are not always as interesting because you know where the story is going to end up, I think it will be really cool to see some of the early days of the rebellion against the Empire and 
Disney Plus Star Wars shows have overall enjoyed them, so I'm looking forward to seeing it. That's kind of what we've got going on for Box Office Buzz this week. If you're looking for more entertainment-related content, be sure to check out my blog over on the ESO Podcast website. Helm reports. Sir, there's Klingons in the starboard bow. Starboard bow? Starboard bow. What are they doing there? They seem to be waiting for the new episode of Earth Station Trek. Science, what do we know about this Earth Station Trek? It's a podcast that tracks through the history of Star Trek, from the early days on NBC to the future on Paramount Plus and everywhere in between. Navigation, how would one find such a podcast? By setting coordinates for EarthStationTrek.com or by doing a sensor sweep of Spotify, iTunes, or any other quadrant where fine podcasts are available. Captain, what are we going to do about the Klingons? We come in peace, Commander. Weapon station, shoot to kill. Shoot Shoot to to kill. kill! Shoot to kill! Hey everyone, welcome back to Earth Station One. That's right, folks. It is time now to talk about the main topic, and we are going a whole 40 years into the future to the world of the Jetsons. That's right, folks. We are looking at the 60th anniversary of the Jetsons, and folks, let's get our, you know, conveyor belts and hop on it, and let's go travel the world and go see where we're going to go. And then we'll hop into our flying cars and go up to Earth Station One and see what Mikey has to talk about tonight. Ready? <laughs> yeah, we are also we're talking all about the Jetsons. Uh, you know, meet George Jetson, right? Jane, his wife, and we all know the song. We all know the song. Um, we got a great crew to talk all about it, right from Toontown. We've got our two Marks with us. Mark Heffernan is here. Hello, everybody. Uh, good to be here. Uh, I think this is the first time on uh, video Earth Station One. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like the Jetsons, right? Like the, the, the video calls, right? They didn't just do audio then, right? So we yep. are we are uh, just one of the things that the Jetsons sort of predicted would be the case, right? Uh, and Mark McRae is here. Hey, everybody. Nice to be here. And uh, it's been a while since I spoke to you guys, and it's a great topic. So I'm ready and ready to go. Well, we were a little late last year, I think, because early last year we talked about the anniversary of the Flintstones. Um, and I think that's a great I mean, you can't talk about the Jetsons, I don't think, start talking about them anyway without talking about the Flintstones. Because it seems to me it was the success of the Flintstones uh, from Hanna-Barbera that they said, okay, what's next? And they said, well, let's do a family drama but or family sitcom, but let's put it way in the future instead of way in the past and so we get the jetsons and that's how uh roughly how it's born but you guys can tell me a little bit more about that before we get into the details there do you guys remember mark heffernan do you remember like your first experience watching the jetsons 
Well, I wasn't born in 1962, so <laughs> right. uh, I caught it on syndication. Uh, by the time I was watching the watching the shows, it was basically on syndication because it had already left the networks on Saturday morning. So it was like it was on it was on I can't remember the year, but it was on Channel 44 out in San Francisco, um, and that's where you'd watch it. Um, is you know either on uh, channel 44 would either show it on sunday mornings or during the week depending on i think they mostly showed it on sunday mornings because for a long time there was just 24 episodes so mm -hmm. showing it on sunday mornings meant they could stretch it out a bit longer yeah right, so. yeah it's interesting because yeah that first season uh it aired from 1962 to uh 1963 um, and it only lasted that one season on primetime in the 60s. You know, everything else was syndication. Uh, new episodes were produced in the 80s. We'll get into all that. But um, I think I caught it around that time too, the early 80s, late 70s um, as well, syndication for sure. Because uh, yes, I was not around in 62 to 63 either. Um, I wasn't even a, a thought at that time <laughs> like, that was not not even close so um uh um but uh mark what about you do you recall your first experience with uh the family of the future i don't um i i feel like i i saw it either on cbs the saturday morning or nbc saturday morning but I knew that it was not a new show. I knew that, it, you know, it at least had been around. And the episode that kind of comes to mind, I do remember the first episode that I remember, that I remember. It's the episode where um, one of Elroy's classmates, he's watching like the millionth episode repeat of a Flintstones episode <laughs> on his handy you know, I guess it will be a smart watch now, right? Uh -huh. um, and he's watching the actual episode. And so that kind of connected the Jetsons and the Flintstones for me. I said, okay, same production company. But I knew that the Jetsons as well as Johnny Quest, which was another one, you know, they sort of bounced around on Saturday mornings, but I knew for whatever reason that they weren't new programming, but I, I still watched it and liked it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think I got that impression, too. I mean, I can't recall the first time I ever watched the Jetsons or the first episode I ever saw. I can't even remember, like, yeah, very much a lot of episodes, to be honest with you. Um, but uh, it wasn't for lack of enjoying it. I remember watching it a lot. Um, but uh, I think it's just my my old brain uh, not being able to tap into some of that stuff. But I did recall that it wasn't. In fact, until, you know, we did the research, I didn't even know they produced new ones in the 80s. So, but I think I watched it. I do remember that it was something that was only on like once a week. It wasn't on like the Flintstones was on like every day um, to compare it to it. And I don't want to spend all the whole episode comparing the two, but, but the Flintstones and I do, there was other cartoons and stuff that were on every day, but the Jetsons was on once a week. And I do remember that as well. Uh, Mike, what about you? What, uh, what's your earliest memories of the Jetsons? Well, for me, it was after school or later earlier, of course, it was probably, you know, you know, 
pre-K or whatever and nursery school, I remember watching it on Channel 5 in Washington, D.C. It was on every afternoon and mm-hmm. being able to see it then. And it was it was fun as heck being able to watch it because, like you, I was not even a gleam in my parents' eye in 1962. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think, my, I think 1962 was the year my parents graduated high school. So, you know, it was, you know, so they were... You know, so they weren't even thinking about Little Mike or whatever they wanted to, you know. (laughs) So it was just, it was interesting though. But I remember watching it and being fascinated by the flying cars and being flied by by all the neat technology and everything and was fascinated by it. And, you know, just, you know, I guess it was already at the time getting into sci-fi and, you know, early geekdom, as we like to say. But I was fascinated by it. And I remember the episode, I first one I saw, was when George and oh, what was his, I think his name was George was um, I think George Jetson and his uh, handyman um, were drafted. Henry. Henry were exactly were drafted into the army. Was the first one that I saw. Mm. And, that's a good one. <laughs> uh-huh. And that's why it stood out to me because I remember, oh, these guys are going into the army and they're, they're going to be soldiers and everything. And, you know, it wasn't anything like that. Or, you know, it was really cute and everything. And it was like, wow, he's old. How And he could get drafted? That's awesome. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, an, it was a neat episode. And I just went from there. And, you know, because I don't think they showed him in any kind of order or anything either. Yeah, probably not in syndication. Plus, I mean, if, if you were watching it in a market that they were showing it every day. Right. If that was when they only had the 20 some episodes, man, you probably saw like a lot of those a lot. <laughs> like, like oh. that's a that's a heavy re- repeat. But that uh, was every month pretty much is like, oh, we're going to see the same ones over again every month. But it was interesting, too, because I never realized until I was in college when I started studying animation and and, you know, in the history of animation and such that they only had done one season at that point. Mm-hmm. And until the and then the eighties thing because I thought because it felt like there were a zillion different episodes but there were only you know a handful and that's how much meaning they had to me because I thought there was just so much more and I got so much out of each episode everything and it was- well, well you know the TV model back in those days I mean some first seasons have 38 episodes back in the 60s because they used to try to produce, um, have fresh episodes almost for the entire year. And as television expenses, you know, went up in production, you know, networks started scaling back. But like, if you look at a lot of shows from the 1960s, even ones like the Jetsons that only ran one season, you know, they can have upwards to 27 to 38 episodes and which is just kind of outrageous, you know. Um, and this was before networks came up with May sweeps, you know, where everything came to an end and, and uh, a network was declared the winner. Like they would actually try to program almost through the summer. And I mean, it probably meant great employment for actors and people in production, but you didn't get much of a vacation back in those days, nor could you like go and do a movie on the side. But uh, that was how television was back then. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Well, we had talked to Stanley a couple weeks ago 
And he was talking about My Three Sons and how Fred McMurray a lot of times used to film all his scenes for the whole season all at once. And so that way he could go off and do movies and everything. Mm -hmm. And everyone filmed around his schedule. Yeah. yeah. That was a special arrangement, though, because even at that time, there was still like this pretty big divide between tv actors and movie actors i mean uh there was there wasn't a lot of crossover and usually it was the case of a movie actor once they went to tv they didn't go back to movies very often <laughs> like right. henry fonda had a western um i think it lasted two seasons and i had never heard of it um where i'm working at now uh scripts television it was one of the shows i had to watch and I'm like, Henry Fonda did a TV Western? Like, what? <laughs> and I, you know, I looked up the, I looked up information on the series and he sort of had a similar arrangement like Fred McMurray where he shot all of his stuff ahead of time and he would go off and do movies because both of these guys were still in demand as movie actors. And uh, I just think it was really progressive that they found a way to kind of work around the system. Mm -hmm. That explains mm -hmm. why Astro was only in a couple of the episodes then for the Jetsons. <laughs> <laughs> I love Astro. <laughs> <laughs> well, what was a friend of mine used to say, you know, when we were on our, one of our benders in college, it's Mike, you know, that Astro was the prototype for Scooby-Doo. And it's like, and it's like, okay. Eh? And, yeah. and now when you look at it though, it's kind of right. Rut row. Rut Right, Rourke? <laughs> it's like, damn, he's right. Mm -hmm. So uh, so as I said, um, yes. Uh, so the Flintstones comes out in 1960. Critically, as we've talked about before, not really well received, but the public loved it. So, uh, so they kept making more. And Hanna-Barbera obviously wanted to do more of this. So uh, I don't know if the Jetsons was there, and you guys probably know this more than I would, but if that, if this was their second attempt at primetime cartooning, but obviously they, they used the model of a sitcom um, and a family sitcom to produce to come out in 1962 with hopefully the same result. Um, and uh, do you guys know any more about what went into sort of the origins of the Jetsons, uh, at least in this stage? Well, I can tell you that uh, the Jetsons premiered um, on Sunday at 7 p.m. in 1962, opposite mm -hmm. the wonderful world of Disney, which was basically the reason it didn't really you know, become super popular in prime time uh, because parents would turn on Disney, right. you know, and that that really hurt the Jetsons. Interestingly, um, even though the Flintstones were all made in color, the first couple of seasons aired in black and white. Mm -hmm. uh, the Jetsons was the first series by ABC to actually air in color despite the fact that most people still had just black and white TVs at the time. So they actually aired it in color. Uh, probably, a, probably as a stunt to, you know, but the problem is wonderful world of Disney. If you had a color TV was also airing in color. Right. So, and like I said, I think 
the wonder airing opposite wonderful world of disney was just basically the death knell although oddly enough when it moved to the saturday mornings it did really well which always made me wonder why didn't they make more episodes in the 60s now that it, it now that it, it was on saturday morning and it was actually getting a pretty good audience yeah interesting uh, you know, I, I think part of I think part of the, another reason it didn't work out as well in primetime is because it was a family sitcom. It made more sense for it to air on Saturday mornings. The Flintstones, at least at first, was not a family sitcom. It was two groups of friends. And it had I think it had more appeal to adult viewers. It, it was basically like the honeymooners. Well, exactly. That's what it was based off of. Yeah, so I, I think I think adults could get more out of the Flintstones than they could the more family vibe Jetsons. So uh, that's just my thoughts. I no, mean, absolutely. I think also um, uh, to piggyback on that too, on the other network, you had Dennis the Menace airing at the same time. So, and that we all know the popularity of that show because that show lasted six years. So look, if you're a family and you're, you're going to watch, if you're not going to watch uh, Walt Disney, you're going to watch Dennis the Menace. It seems like the Jetsons would be like a third choice, um, which is unfortunate. But um, uh, but why they didn't move it to another night, or like you said, Mike, why didn't they move it to another like a, just to have it on in the morning? Um, I, I don't know why that decision wasn't made to continue it on. But but um, uh, Mark, do you have any insights as to the origin of the series, first and foremost, or um, and when it was broadcast? Uh, what I know is that during the research phase of the Jetsons, that the animators and the writers, they heavily researched what type of technology might be available in the next 30 or 40 years, you know, like from 1961 or 1962. So I know that they definitely try to add in elements of real technology or what they thought real technology might exist in the future or the timeline that they, that the Jetsons are supposed to exist in. Um, the other thing is the Jetsons wasn't exactly a failure because back in those days, they gave uh, shows like 13 weeks to prove themselves and the fact that the Jetsons got past the first 13 weeks, you know, gave ABC the confidence, like, well, maybe this show has legs. But probably by the time it got to the end of the season, it was probably, you know, not doing that great. And then it got shipped to Saturday morning. And that's part of how Saturday morning became a thing, because shows like the Jetsons and Top Cat and the Bugs Bunny show, which didn't do great in primetime, Alvin and the Chipmunks was another one. These all, all these shows started out in primetime. And because of contractual reasons or whatever, they were moved to Saturday morning. And, and like Mark said, all of a sudden they're doing great there. Um, that became where sort of rejected primetime shows ended up. But eventually... Saturday morning became a real thing where you had the networks actually wanting to produce, you know, new programming for the block. But at the time, it was either a, a contract had to be fulfilled and space also had to be fulfilled. And Saturday morning, I mean, in terms of ratings and everything, um, 
you know, like a show like the Jetsons probably did really fantastic. Um, not to the point though, where the network was like, let's make some Spend new a lot of money. <laughs> right. right. Because <laughs> that wasn't a thing to make something new specifically for Saturday morning. I mean, that will come later. Uh, I think with Secret Squirrel, Secret Squirrel and Adam Ant becoming the first being specifically made for the Saturday morning audience. Um, and maybe the Beatles cartoon, but it just wasn't a business yet. Yeah, yeah, because I could see that, too. It's like from a business, you have 26 episodes, right? So for every Saturday, that's half a year's worth of programming that you don't have to worry about, right, that you've right. already paid for. So right. you just and you just show it twice. You know, each episode airs twice a year. You do that for however many years you can. I, I, I totally understand from a business standpoint. Um, but you also said something else pretty interesting, too, is that, you know, we tend to think of the 60s being the big space race and everybody being really into space. But this might have been a little too early for that and uh, to get to really catch on, I think, maybe with audiences. And we, you know, other shows that we all know and love now that were in prime time that were space oriented live action shows like Star Trek, they had a hard time getting uh, viewers as well. Um, maybe the public wasn't into watching space fantasy shows. Um, maybe that was part of it too. I don't know if that's, if that's fair. You know, I I think it's a fair argument because uh, Lost in Space also, you know, sort of struggled, but I, sometimes I blame the network for, for their struggles because first season Lost in Space was really serious. And then second and third season, it was in color, but you also had um, the focus all of a sudden went to Will Robinson and, and the Mr. Smith characters. And some of the episodes got silly because it was going up against uh, Batman uh, because Batman was very colorful and very campy. They decided to make Lost in Space campy, which is something a network wouldn't even dream of doing these days. You know what? Our competition is doing a campy show. So we're going to make your show campy too. And, you know, Erwin Allen, who created Lost in Space, I guess, I'm sure behind the scenes, he was probably, you know, <laughs> saying all kind of not nice things about what the network was doing to his show. But that was the thought. And um, but I think there may have been a reluctance for viewers to see something in space i mean i kind of feel like space shows actually work better in the 70s and the 80s mm. than they did in the 60s well and, post star um, wars i think everything does work <laughs> uh, space shows right. post star wars work really well right yeah um, and i think that's one of the reasons that the jetsons kind of got new life into the 80s was because mm -hmm. space shows were now like a thing that could sell and and mm -hmm. people who are writing them i think actually understood them a little bit more because all right let's talk about this a little bit because we're talking about the space element of the show when i watch it when i watched it then i just thought hey flying cars you know billy whatever i mean everything was really cool you could do stuff with a button there was robots it was really cool to look at visually um but it 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 depicts watching it now it depicts a very strange and not exactly hopeful future <laughs> you know i mean on the outside it's like you've got this like sort of quote unquote nuclear family right 
uh, in this post-nuclear age, but, but it's, it's, you're like, you know, I'm wondering like, why does everybody live up in the air? Like, why does every, like, what, what's wrong with the ground? What's you never see the ground really. We, exactly. You never see like, and we know it's earth because people are going, they talk about going to other countries. They talk about going and you can tubes is the way you travel. But it seems like it's a very, like, everybody presses buttons. George Jetson only works, like, what, an hour, two days a week? Like, something like that. Like, he's, like, and he, and he just pushes buttons, and they complain about how much work that is. Um, it's not a very <laughs> diverse, like, group of, uh, you know, people that we see uh, uh, that are up here. It just looks very, very strange um, looking at it with modern eyes now. Um uh, what do you guys think? But it looks like the technology, a lot of it was predicted. Um, yeah, it comes across, I know what you mean. It comes across kind of, I guess, clinical a little bit um, in the sense that they have all this technology, but why aren't people having more fun? They seem to be still complaining about things that everyone in the 20th century is complaining about. But I guess that was to make it more relatable to viewers so i i I get that and you know the like you you have mentioned mike about the uh (laughs) people you know pressing buttons and complaining i mean that's one of the reasons why jane gets rosie the robot exactly yeah because her finger got like (laughs) this you know her finger starts to hurt well and the machine the machine was breaking down too i mean to her credit i mean to her defense it was like a bad machine too right but but even george gets you know george is at work and he's all he does is press a couple buttons you know a day um and he complains about how it's uh and he can't even do it right apparently according to his boss uh right. mark heffernan what do you what do you think of the dynamic here as far as uh the way the future is depicted here is it a is a future that you really want to embrace or is it something that just like is like mm, this is kind of weird well you have to remember yeah when you're watching the show i think you have to remember when it was made sure really it, it really it really has a late 50s at least at least that first season in particular has a really late 50s early 60s vibe the mother stays home she doesn't go to work i mean she spends the money she took his wallet in the opening scene of the show yes i mean that's what she does i i mean judy he she's boy crazy you know that's basically mostly her he's the dreamiest (laughs) i mean every time you see every time there's a story based on judy it's usually because she's boy crazy about somebody and then elroy is the smart little kid you know it's probably the reason why my two favorite characters in the show are astro the dog and rosie the robot right (laughs) yes that's true because i just think they're the most interesting characters because it's like you're watching it and it feels like you're just watching a late fifties sitcom, you know, or an early 60s sitcom with the nuclear family. The only difference is this is a family that lives up in the air. I don't know why they live up in the air, but they do. Um, And they have all this technology. The thing that I always wonder about watching the show is if all they're doing is pressing buttons, what about exercise? Why aren't they all super fat? I mean, all they're doing is pressing buttons. 
I mean, if you're just sitting at a desk or pressing buttons uh, or the press the press the button to, you know, summon the robot to do the work, don't you shouldn't you be outside exercising? But they're not even doing walking because they're on they're on moving sidewalks. Well, it's kind of funny you mention exercise <laughs> because there is a, a really funny gag of George. He's supposed to be exercising and he turns on the TV and this, you know, the ex the the first ex- exercise dude that was that that was on television is supposed to be like a version of Jack Lane. Right. And Jack Lane is telling George to jump rope and to do X, Y, and Z. And George is basically lying in bed when all this is going on. And then after the video ends, he acts like he has done some exercising. So I said, oh, that's, that's what exercising is in the future, you know? But one of the things I did realize about the Jetsons, you know, watching it as a kid and watching it with adult eyes is that it sort of hinted that George has a roving eye in some of the episodes that um, he's not the wor- the most trustworthy husband. And mm-hmm. um, in one of the episodes, Jane comes home from a, a vacation because she thinks that George is with some unnamed blonde. And um, so the little adult elements in there, I think are, are kind of cool. And then uh, Mike, you had mentioned uh, earlier about the first episode you saw with uh George going to the army, that's uh, one of two appearances of the robot Uniblab. I know. Uh, that shows up. First, Uniblab takes George's promotion in one episode, and then he becomes his commander in that army episode that you referenced. And, uh, you know, and in, in both times, they kind of, Uniblab is obnoxious, and he sort of gets his comeuppance because <laughs> he gets, um, they find a way to get the robot drunk. <laughs> and you didn't see a lot of you know like any any animated character getting drunk as far as i'm concerned has definitely gone into the adult sphere you know of things happening <laughs> right and and it's a great episode and it's funny it's really funny um, i could tell but, uh, i could tell when i rewatched you know so the, those those little things i could well, tell when even i rewatched he... the pilot sorry mark uh, just real quick i t- i could tell when i rewatched the pilot that there was there was things in here in this cartoon that were definitely aimed for adults. Um, and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and that was definitely like some of the, and I, I know that stuff went way over my head when I was a kid watching it back in the day, but now I'm like going, wow, there's this, I mean, they're talking about this, that, and the other thing. And it's like, Oh, okay. Um, but uh, I'm sorry, Mark, uh, Heaven, what were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to say, talking about the ex going back to the exercise for a minute one of the episodes that I rewatched uh, getting ready for this was the one where uh, uh, Cosmo Spacely and George Jetson go to uh, sneak sneak out to go to the football game. And uh, the football game's being played by robots, so they're not mm-hmm. even getting their exercise playing football. <laughs> nope. They don't even have human athletes. No, they no, even, the coach was even programming it, looking into something like very similar to a video game now, you know, mm-hmm. and to make it run. It was just actually. Interesting. I think I, I think that's a good analogy that they're they, that they're actually playing video games rather than actually, you know, participating in real sports. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I think that's I think that's the one thing that the show got really good was the fact that a lot of the stuff that's in the show, except for maybe pro- likely the flying cars, obviously, um, a lot of that stuff we've got 
uh, equivalents nowadays. Yeah, you flat know. screen TVs. And, yes. Yeah, a lot of stuff can be done uh, with a push of a button or, or, or look what we're talking to just on your phone. Right now, we're talking over Zoom. They had the video calls. and Right, exactly. And even paying for cable. I mean, there's one episode where George is watching something and the, the television just goes dead and he has to insert a quarter to get the television <laughs> to come back. And that's pay TV. <laughs> And I, think, I think that's like that that is part of the charm and i think part of the charm when we were watching it uh, as kids was that environment that that space age environment more than it was um because i think someone's already said uh, you know about how the characters come across mark uh heaven as you pointed out um there was a, like in the flintstones there's there's like it's about friendship it's about like there's a real warmth there between all the characters don't really get that in the Jetsons. Uh, the Jetsons is a they're 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 a family um, onto themselves. I mean, they interact with other people, but there's no like real good friends. Um, you know, his work environment is not great. But as you guys pointed out, it's not one that he you know does a lot of physical work. I mean, this is a guy. This is like I mean, it's sort of like sort of like the the Flintstones is like lower class and maybe the jetsons is like middle class like different classes of, of of families there um i definitely see the family sitcom influence like the my three sons leave it to beaver all those kind of shows that were uh so uh there's one uh the one rosie the robot kind of reminds me of what was it hazel the the the, the show the that's family what show they were the trying main. to go for mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it really got that vibe on it too. So you got this sort of like family dynamic there, but it didn't seem to have uh I mean everything was kind of cool, but the the actual family itself seemed to me a little like colder than um uh, not a lot of warmth to it than Shay and I, like I said, I keep, I hate to keep comparing it, but like a show like The Flintstones or other shows like that. Mm-hmm. So to me personally I- yeah, I, I do think, though, that some of the episodes, you know, were fun, like the Jet Screamer episode. Um, you know, I mean, I guess Jet Screamer was supposed to be their version of Elvis. And, uh, <laughs> right. you know, the song and the music is just, I just think it's, it's brilliant, you know, that particular episode. And the other episode where uh, Jane enters the beauty contest and, you know, she thinks about, you know, Bill Spacely, or I think it's Bill Spacely coming home. And uh, it's a real standout performance. And, you know, so great that they don't even bother, you don't even bother to see the other contestants because, you know, the character, uh, Miss Western Hemisphere or Miss Southern Hemisphere, whatever her character name is, she has just stolen the show. And I remember one year I was watching the Grammys, falling asleep on my couch, and the singer comes out. I don't know who he is. And all of a sudden I start to wake up and I, you know, I I later realize it's Ricky Martin and he gives this performance at the Grammys. And I immediately thought about that Jetsons episode. And I said, (laughs) oh my gosh, I said, Ricky Martin just stole the freaking Grammy show. And for years and years and years, I always wanted to see a moment like that on live TV. And I actually got to see it because the the next day it was all about Ricky Martin at the Grammy show. And I always, I always think about the Jetsons that 
that that cartoon, that particular episode, you know, actually <laughs> projected something happening in the future, you know, <laughs> that actually did happen on television um, much, much, much later. So for me, like being a cartoon fan and and seeing that live moment happen, I'm just like, wow, I said, that's pretty cool. You know, I said, Ricky Martin just stole the show, just like Jane Jetson did back in the day. <laughs> so, um, so as we said, the show lasted a, a year. Uh, then when it was in syndication uh, in the 80s, uh, 1985, I believe, they, uh, they made new episodes. So they made a few more seasons of, of episodes and they went on for a couple more years in that, in that direction. Uh, mostly the same cast, uh, mostly the same characters. There were some additions. Uh, we, have, we have Orbity uh, joining the show, uh, which you would think would be one of those, uh, you know, characters that would be pretty much uh, divisive, <laughs> shall we say. <laughs> like sometimes when they get these like cute little, little uh, aliens or whatever on a show, it, it kind of like people talk about it. There's some other characters too. What, how do you guys feel about the 80s shows as opposed to the original run? Is there that much of a difference? Are some better than others? Or Mark Heffernan, where do you, where do you stand on that? Well, I, my opinion on the uh, 80s ones is I'm not a big fan of Orbity. I thought adding more to the space land was not a bad idea, like his nephew. I can't remember the name right off my head, but um, having his nephew show up, having more on the spacely side kind of opened up the show a little bit are they as good as the original 24 no i will tell you that orbity uh was dropped for in the third season except for one cameo and he did not appear in the movie in 1990 so obviously they decided afterwards that they did not want to have that character as part of the show um so like I said, I'm not a big fan of Orbity. I think, but I, I, th I think the original shows are definitely what you want to watch. Uh, but to be fair, when you go out, if you go out and buy the DVD set, or if you watch stream it on HBO Max, they're there if you want to watch them. Mm -hmm. So. Oh yeah, all of the uh, the complete run of the '60s and '80s shows are on H are right now available on HBO Max. They may change the way HBO Max is doing things, so who knows? Mark McCray, what do you feel about the the differences between those seasons? I mean, twenty years passed, right? So it's a yeah. big. That's a long time to to sort of say here's season two. I mean, we see that now, right? Like we see a lot of things like making like comebacks and doing continuing on. But, I mean, for a cartoon like that, that seems like it was kind of unusual. Yeah, um, I just think that Hanna-Barbera, they were really into, you know, redoing a lot of their old properties over again for a new audience. Um, you know, uh, Mike had brought up, you know, the Flintstones meets the Jetsons. And I would have loved to have seen something like that maybe when both series uh, were in their original runs or at least... Uh, something like that being produced in the 60s when all the original voice actors were still alive which would and be amazing it, yeah it would have been it would have been great and I, and I think it's a missed I thought it was a missed opportunity but um a lot I don't know a lot of because I feel like the industry was 
you know, always evolving the animation industry, you know, with new people coming in and new people leave and old people leaving. And um, I, I, I'm not a, a huge fan of those 80 episodes. And I agree with Mark, you know, because I'm not, I, they really did not need Orbity. They already had Astro. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think that Orbity, and I understand why they added Orbity because that was the thing to add a sidekick. A lot of times adding a sidekick got, got your animated series sold to a network or maybe, um, you know, uh, a syndicator would pick it up. You know, we need something for the little kids, you know, and yep. I totally get hey, that. Hey, not just, but... not just animation. Clash of the mm-hmm. Titans got that metal out, right? <laughs> like, like, I mean, <laughs> like everybody, you know, you needed like the studios needed something for the kids, but also something they could sell. Right. Exactly. Like a toy that they could sell. Right. Exactly. And I feel like the, the what I will say about the 80s Jetsons is that I think it is sort of uh, they are trying to balance the adult and they know that primarily more kids are going to be watching it. But they, in my opinion, they tried to keep some adult elements in there because they probably knew that the kids that might have grown up on the Jetsons might be watching with their kids in the, in the 80s and maybe keeping some of those adult elements in there might help but it was to me it was a watered down version of the original show uh although they did have some some pretty cool moments there's an episode where they do like the you know the futuristic version of family feud and i think the jetsons are going up against the space leads which is is pretty cool so it's like stuff like that i think help make it contemporary and bring in that new audience but it's not the same show and you know hanna barbera unlike maybe some of the other studios when they did a revival of one of their old properties it just seems so i don't know it just seems so different to the point where wow did this actually come from the originating studio you know, you kind of get that impression sometimes because the Johnny Quest uh, remakes also, whether they were movies or or some of the shows, just never had that same feel again. Um, even though as a viewer, I was happy to see something new with, with these characters. But um, I don't know. It's like something was missing, I guess I, you can say I, about I, the Jetsons. I think they lost out on some great like cross promotion because, you know, you could have had, you know, especially I haven't seen the movie, Mike, so you might have to tell me about this if that this happens. But um, if you got the Flintstones and the Jetsons together, I think, you know, if they're if they don't work in the Great Gazoo with both of those, I don't know why you're doing anything like Mm -hmm. that's like that, like seems to me like a prime opportunity, because isn't he supposed to be like an alien from the future or something? Right. Like, right. And and that's right. Dum dum. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And and there is an episode where the Flintstones, you know, uh, visit the Jetsons timeline or or a, a, a very close uh timeline and to me that would have been just great for at least a cameo of the jetsons but then you know i mean but then you know they would have to pay the original voice actors to just to come in and do that part and maybe the budget didn't um didn't allow that you know uh because they did do a yogi bear cameo in the flintstones and that's cool but the Gazoo sends the Flintstones into the future and the Jetsons are there. How awesome would that would have been? That would have been great, you know? And again, a missed opportunity. 
Oh, there's I do know all there was the way some, through. Yeah, I do know there was some crossover, just a little bit, like you said, not a lot. I do know that uh, I think in one of the wacky races, right, uh, Elroy is kidnapped or something, and um, and and so there's uh, there's stuff like that. But but moreover, after '87, uh, we get you know we get that Jetsons meets Flintstones movie. We get another movie, Rockin' with Judy Jetson. Uh, we get the Jetsons movie theatrically in 1990. Uh, a few years ago, God, now it's five years ago. Jetsons and the WWE with Robo WrestleMania. Um, so the Jetsons are not, they're still around, <laughs> but they're like, it doesn't seem like they're like few and far between. I know that a live action version has been started and stopped and started and stopped. Uh, even Robert Rodriguez was attached to one uh, version of it at w- one point. The um, uh, I know that they've done like sort of a adult sort of version of the Jetsons in DC Comics, like they did with the Flintstones. I don't oh, think that was yeah. as successful either. I don't. I'm not sure, but it seems like the Jetsons are always having like a tough time of it trying to get over. So. Um, I don't know. Let me ask you, and this we can sort of start to wrap this up, I guess, unfortunately. But um, is the Jetsons something that you feel still has legs that can be done, either live action, animated, whatever, uh, with interesting stories? Do you think it, or do you think it's a property that it's it should stay the way it is? Um, it was best in the '60s. Any continuation has just been kind of difficult, and uh, you know, just just leave it be. Uh, Mark Heffernan, we'll start with you. Where, where do you stand on 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 the future of the Jetsons? Well, the problem is, is all the original voice actors are no longer with us. Long, obviously, long yeah. it's gone. So you'd have to you'd have to get a, a completely brand new cast. Also, you probably would have to do a complete reboot because. Uh, the Jetsons movie that you mentioned in 1990 was supposed to be the series. It, it was supposed to function as a series finale. In other words, it was supposed oh, wow. to be. It, 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 most people didn't go see it. Uh, <laughs> it. It came out in 1990 when uh, when Days of Thunder and Dick Tracy and Die Hard 2 were all out in the theaters and people were going to see those. They weren't going to see the Jetsons. Plus the fact that, let's be honest, people have gotten spoiled by The Little Mermaid, which had come out six months earlier. So, oh, big time. They, they, wanted, they wanted better quality animation than what uh, Hanna-Barbera was giving with the Jetsons movie. But I think you would have to do a complete reboot uh, from the beginning again. Um, I don't know if I necessarily want to see that or not. I think I'm kind of okay with uh, what we've got. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I can imagine that, uh, Warner, which owns Hanna-Barbera at some point will seriously consider rebooting the, uh, Jetsons. If they, if they haven't already considered reboot, I, I'm surprised they haven't considered rebooting the Flintstones yet either. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Flintstones has been 
you know, we talked about it on their show uh, when we did that. And we did, you know, speaking of another Hanna Barbera property, uh, Scooby Doo. We've seen those things happen like every year after year after year. Although, you know, what happened to Scoob this year was not cool. Uh, so we don't know what the the future has for any of these uh, formerly Hanna Barbera properties, now Warner Brothers homes. But uh, Mark, what do you what do you feel? Does the Jeffsons still have a future? I, no pun intended. I, think, I, I think, intend the pun. We know we always intend the pun here on Earth Station. <laughs> I th- I think that it would have to be. I think someone would have to. I would like to see a really great live action version of the Jetsons happen, but it would have to be someone that really has some imagination, someone who is really a fan of the property, and someone who can interpret that old property. And interpret it in a way that it's being made interesting. You know, I feel like we're sort of living in the Jetsons era right now. We don't have the flying cars, but we have everything else. So in order to make the Jetsons relevant, you would have to sort of make the technology stand out a whole lot more than what we've seen already. And... um you know, I, I guess it would have to be like uh, it would have to <laughs> the technology would have to have to level up and you would have to also make the characters interesting. And Jane would have to be interesting, too. You know, uh, if she is at home, maybe she's working at home now, you know, mm-hmm. as opposed to just being, you know, like what Mark mentioned earlier, you know, that late 50s, early 60s family prototype that was very popular on TV. That's just not going to fly. You know, like the Jetsons actually literally have to be brought into the modern era in order for for it to be successful. It works. The Flintstones sort of works uh, as an evergreen brand because it's prehistoric. And so they can do whatever they want. And I see what you mean, you know, but but like the but with the Jetsons, you know, now if you. Anyone, if Warner Brothers or anyone were to bring the Jetsons back, it would have to have to, um, you know, our imaginations would have to be blown and uh, the characters would definitely also have to level up as well. You know, like all of the the typical dad and typical with kid and the mom and the sister. Sure. Keep that family, but, you know, bring them more into the modern space, I think, literally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, absolutely. It, it would definitely work uh, because you know some franchises, you know, have been brought back to life by the right creator or the right visionary. You know, so it's it's not impossible. But uh, you know, a lot of that has to be worked out at Warner Discovery, and and they're doing a lot of working out right now. <laughs> they, they, <laughs> who are they ever? <laughs> uh, Mike, Mike, what do you, what do you think? What do you, do you is there room? Do you want to see any more Jetsons, uh, new property? Like projects? everyone's been saying, it has to be done the right way. I don't want just to see something thrown together, or some. There had been over the last twenty years some really bad versions of Scooby Doo done, some really bad ones. Mm-hmm. But I loved the last movie that they did. The Scoob movie was amazing. Uh-huh. And yes. I was looking forward to the second one before Warner canceled it. And because they were starting to universe build with this. Yes, and they were. And there was a lot of possibilities. I could see them doing something like that with the Jetsons. And, 
you know, even tie it in, you know, if they wanted to get away from a little bit of humor, even tie it into some of like Space Ghost even or something like that. You know, maybe, you know, just tie it into, you know, the whole outer space thing and everything. Um, but I don't want it to see them fitting into tropes where, you know, it becomes really stupid to watch and it has to be a good story. It would have to be something that would be intelligent and just not, you know, everyone playing their role and, Oh, look who else is here. It's Mr. Spacely. Ha, 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 ha. It's, you know, Univac, ha, 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 ha. you know, mm -hmm. and you know, I don't want to see that. I want to see something that would be an, an interesting story and maybe take it, you know, another hundred years in the future. Cause you know, I've read you know, back in 1962, when they said it was going to be 100 years in the future and everything, you know, we're only 40 years away from that now, folks. And, you know, like you've been saying throughout the episode, Mike, we do have a lot of the technologies that they were talking about on this show at the time. But, you know, I would love to see them, you know, maybe push it another 100 years, another 200 years or something. Even, you know, what they're talking about, you know, when they were re going to reduce Space 1999, they were going to make it Space 2099 or something, you know, to push it another 100 years. So it's not in our past or upcoming future or something like that. Because, you know, I would love to see it be wondrous and everything. And as a kid, the Jetsons was wondrous. It was like, oh, look at all these cool things that they could do or they can go to floating around in tubes or floating, you know, watching pictures on TV of talking to somebody, you know, and it was it was awesome. But, you know, I want to see that. I want them to capture the magic and... I'm worried that they wouldn't if they brought it back now. That's the problem. It would have sure. to it would have to be with somebody really creative. Right, right. Well, you know, and look, when I ask like, hey, do you guys want to see more of this? I'm not asking, do you want to see like crap? I want to see like <laughs> and like say, do you do you think that this property has any legs that somebody with uh, you know some creativity could could bring with it? Look, if I if they do do, you know, if they do do a live action version, especially, or even more animated, um, I agree with a lot of everything that you said. Obviously, there's a lot of things that would need to change in terms of updating the the actual property, the, the characters and the premise and everything like that. But one thing that I would hope that they would keep and really just run with is, you know, I mean, I know if it's going to be 100 years, 10 years, whatever it's going to be in the future, like, I hope it keeps that same sort of like space age, Southern California, modern architecture aesthetic, the, what do they call it? Googie architecture. Like, it's just got this like really cool, like, like slickness to it that just to me looks really cool aesthetically. And I think you, that would put it in its own sort of world, its own universe. So you wouldn't have to say like, you know, how realistic is it or anything like that? Um, it would just be so cool visually uh, to watch. I think something like that would be really cool and different because I don't think we'd have anything like that right now. Um, so that would be a really kind of cool take on it. That would be my, but you could have so much fun telling all these like satirical stories of like other science fiction things that have come along now and uh, like in the last like 50, 60 years that the Jetsons has been on. So you could have a lot of fun with it, I think. Um, so I don't think it's a dead property. I think it's one that has been mishandled a bit. 
um, and started off kind of rough because obviously it wasn't like, you know, it lasted one season and not to say that it wasn't successful, but it lasted one season. Right. So like, like, and it, and more weren't made until 20 years later. So it's not like it was like right on the cusp of everybody wanting to see this, but I think it could be fun to play around in this, in this world. Um, so I hope we see it at some point. I hope we see it at some point. So um, before we go, as we close, I want each one of you to tell me what that you should like, what's a favorite Jetsons episode or movie or whatever. What's something with the Jetsons that you think everybody needs to check out? Uh, we'll start with you, uh, Mark McRae. All right. Um, like I said earlier, I think the, uh, the Jet Screamer episode is just standout, you know, um, just the animation and, you know, it's, it's sort of like a mini video in, in, in a sense, but, uh, it's just so much fun and has so much energy and you can tell the animators were having a great time, uh, putting that episode together. And, um, and I feel like the Jet Screamer episode is the episode that sort of won me over as a viewer for the Jetsons because, I'm like, wow, they're having this much fun. I need to keep watching. So <laughs> I would say um, the Jet Screamer episode, which I don't know how that falls. I, I know it's one of the early ones, but uh, gotcha. that would be the one that I would definitely recommend if you want to watch the Jetsons, for sure. Uh, Mark Heffern? Well, I will say um, probably my favorite episode is the one where they introduce Astro. And he's having a contest with the robot dog to decide which one they're going to keep. It's it's a lot of fun, uh, of course. Uh, you know what ends up happening is, is a burglar breaks in, and uh, the burglar puts the mask on uh, George, and of course the robot dog attacks George. <laughs> <laughs> of course, and bites him, bites bites him in the butt. Hmm. And, you know, so eventually, of course, they decide to keep Astro rather than the robot dog. But it's 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 just got some funny slapstick moments to it. So that would be mine. Um, I, you know, so there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mike, Mike, any picks? Well, of course, for me, it's the first one that I had ever seen, which was G.I. Jetson. And I think that was episode 19 of the first the first season. And for me, it just holds a special place because it was the first, you know, first episode. And I thought that Univac was the uh, big bad throughout the whole series watching that and everything. And it was, it was just a ton of fun. And, you know, it's interesting how, you know, what it was saying about society at the time, about the draft, about, you know, people going out to some people were volunteering at the time for the draft to get away from their jobs and such. And, you know, this is all before Vietnam. So, you know, it was a little more of a happy go lucky time for the military at that, you know, at that point. But it was very interesting to see, and it was just a fun story, and I definitely recommend that one for, it's even, a, for me, it was my intro episode, and it could be something, most of the first season, there none of the stories connect, so you can put any of those stories in to introduce somebody to, with the Jetsons. 
Awesome. Awesome. Um, I got to say for me, um, you know, as, as much as the, the show, you know, is really what it's all about. I, I do have to have a uh, somewhat um, soft spot in my heart for um, this uh, comic series that DC put out called the Flintstones and the Jetsons. Uh, it was like uh, alternating stories. Uh, they weren't together all the time uh but it was just they shared this title that ran for 12 issues i don't know if you can get all of them in trade uh if all 12 have been trade i know that uh the first six were in in a trade form um but uh they have some great covers and they had some great artists and writers behind it nothing like too severe nothing like too like um like amazing but as far as uh uh, alternative takes on these characters, like what would happen later with DC, but just some fun stuff written by guys like Mike Carlin, uh, Bill Ray, Glenn Hansen worked on this as well, and like some lot of talented people. So uh, I would uh, I would check that out because if you're a Flintstones and a Jetsons fan, uh, it's it's two for one, right? So, um, all right, well that uh, concludes our discussion. I think thanks guys for celebrating 60 years of the Jetsons, and who knows, maybe more, uh, more to come. Uh, so uh, we will take a quick break while we get creative, and then be back to close out the show. Hey everybody, Michelle here with an iconic rock talk show moment. If you're an Elton John fan, it is sad to think that the Yellow Brick Road really is uh, winding down after so many years. And if you're like me and you couldn't catch him on this final tour, or if you did and you want to relive it, uh, Disney Plus will be live streaming his final North American show uh, from Dodger Stadium on November 20th. As Elton John, farewell from Dodger Stadium. Of course, he is going back and revisiting the scene of one of his greatest concert triumphs, the live shows from 75. Disney Plus will also stream Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, the final Elton John performances and the years that made his legend. A title that just trips off the tongue, I must say. Um, I'm not sure of the date on this, but it will cover his last few months of his tour uh, concert footage from 50 years, uh, some candid uh, footage backstage, him and his family and other things. Uh, this uh, special is scheduled to also have a limited theatrical release, so we will be looking for that maybe early next year. And Brian Johnson uh, will be releasing his memoir, Lives of Brian, that will come out on October 25th of this year talking about his story growing up as the son of a steel worker in Newcastle-on-Tyne, uh, auditioning for ACDC, replacing Bon Scott, and then the release of Back in Black that changed his life and the band's life forever. Uh, this has been the Iconic Rock Talk Show moment. The blog is iconicrocktalkshow.wordpress.com. We will catch you next time. Drew Leiter here. Wish you could keep up on DC Comics, but don't have the time or the money? 
not a problem. Join Cletus Jacobs and I as we bring you recaps and commentary on DC Comics, television, movies, and more, whether they are good or not. The Earth Station DCU podcast comes out weekly and is part of the ESO Network. Welcome back. Now it's time for the Creative Outlet segment, and we are here with podcaster and author and friend of the show, Dennis Robinson. Welcome back, sir. Thank you so much for having me. It's always great to come back. I always appreciate you allowing me to come on and talk about my stuff. Well, dude, you've got some great stuff, so I'm very curious to hear what you have to talk about this time. You have a new project and a new Kickstarter. I do. So last year I came on and talked about uh, the Kickstarter for Lycan Solomon Saucy Chapter 1, and it was a big success. And I've gotten a lot of really good feedback uh, about that book, so we launched – like in Solomon's Odyssey Chapter 2 this year, it starts off exact like the same day as the end of the first book and then takes place over a few hundred years. But this one really focuses on ancient Arabic mythologies and folklores and like really crazy monsters and delves into PTSD, grief, um, things like that. Oh, that's awesome. That sounds like a lot of fun. And who are you working with this year? Are you, you know. So I managed to keep the team together. So my oh, artist, his, his name is Sal. Uh, Sal okay. Denaire out of Spain. My colorist is Ezekiel Dominguez. He's out of Argentina with Stone Tower Studios. And then my letterer is Joel Saavedra out of Argentina as well. And then I still have the same two editors, Gabo or Galvasor and Stephanie Krugnola. Uh, those are my two editors. And our cover art was done. There actually was a new artist for that this year. So the, the first cover we got was Christian Dabari, same as last year. But then we got two new covers by an artist named Matthew Sutton. And uh, everyone's been raving about those covers too. So I'm really, really pleased with how everything turned out. I actually got to design one of the covers. It's a it's a wolf's mouth open and then like a body or a pile of like ripped up broken bodies like piled up as Solomon's like trying to claw his way out and they're just dragging him back down basically. It's pretty, pretty cool. (laughs) That sounds awesome. I can't wait to see the artwork for this. I enjoyed what you did last time and you were quite successful with the Kickstarter. Where are you at right now with it? So today we hit 75%. So we are three quarters of the way funded. We're 6000 out of $8,000 there with 13 days left to go the last day. So the campaign ends on October 2nd at 10 p.m. So just a little bit under two weeks left to go. That is awesome. That is awesome. Yeah, because when I was looking at the page earlier today, it was like, oh, wow, they are very close already. Mm -hmm. And so you have – do you have any – you know, once you hit your goals – do you have any, you know, extended goals in there? Oh, yeah. We have stretch goals. So it, there there are some stated and non-stated stretch goals. So I believe the, the first stretch goal is uh, bookmarks. for. So the stretch goals this year are a little different from last year in terms of anybody who backs the book physically. If we do unlock stretch goals, you get all of them. So last year it was like, oh, if you're at this level, then you get this. If you're at this level, then you get that. Sure, sure. Not this time. It's pretty standard. Anybody who backs physically gets any stretch goals we unlock. So I believe the first couple of goals are things like bookmarks and uh, mini prints, stuff like that. And then if we hit $15,000, I believe that is where we unlock the foil cover. So it's a really nice, shiny, metallic uh, lettering that they would put on the cover. Everybody really, really dug it for the first book. So I'm I'm really hoping we get to that. But more so, uh, my roommate Phil said that if we hit $15,000, he will allow me to buy another dog 
for Yoshi, my current Newfie dog. So I'm going to get another oh, Newfie if that's the case. There you Kirby. go. So I really want to hit go. 15. <laughs> that's even better. That's even better for it. That's awesome, dude. I really think you guys are onto something. And, you know, with the, you know, the foil covers and everything, I feel like I'm back in the 90s. So it's even better. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate it. That is cool. So how can people find you? So the easiest way to find the campaign is www.likenbook.com. That's L-Y-C-A-N book.com. That'll redirect you right to the Kickstarter. But if for whatever reason you can't find it that way, you can just search for Lycan Solomon's Odyssey Chapter 2, which is obviously a much bigger mouthful on Kickstarter itself, and you should be able to find us that way. If you're looking for me personally, you can find me over at Botched a D&D Podcast, our improv comedy show draped in the loose skin of Dungeons & Dragons with a little bit of drinking involved and you can also find me over at on instagram at world's most okayest dm and uh yeah we also have a website for the book so if you do want to check out a free sample of the first book i do have the first 18 pages available for like a downloadable pdf um, that is hiveheadstudios.com if you want to check that out fantastic well i wish you best of luck eso will help push you over the edge and well in a lot of different ways, but we will <laughs> definitely do that for you. Thank you so much. Oh, most definitely, dude. Let's take a quick break, and we will be back in a moment, and we will close up the show. Welcome to A Geek Girl's Take. I'm your host, Angela, and this week, this geek girl is talking about Channel Zero, the four-season horror anthology show that used to be on sci-fi but is now watchable on Shudder. Channel Zero is a four-season anthology-style series where each season is a storyline. Most of the stories are based on creepypastas or short horror stories that have six episodes per season. So it's a fun, spooky, quick watch if you're looking for something interesting that won't take up a ton of your time. I will say that each season was interesting, but I enjoyed season two the most, No End House. A group of friends decide to check out a haunted house that mysteriously shows up in each town for a short time. Inside, they go through different rooms and end up in what seems to be a dream world, where the main character, Jules, has her father back, who we learn early on passed away. But there's something really weird and sinister going on. This season was so crazy and unique in its story premises that it was such an interesting watch. I think my next choice for favorite would have to be season four, The Dream Door since you don't have to watch these in order since they're all different storylines. We see a couple moving into a childhood home, but weird stuff starts to happen and a door appears in their basement. Once they get the door open, a weird contortionist creature named Pretzel Jack runs out of it. And from there, we have a really crazy story unfolding of what the creature is and how it connects to the main character, Jillian. This season also has an incredibly cute black pug in it, and I absolutely love pugs, so that brought me in right away. My third favorite would have to be season three, Butcher's Block. The story is about two sisters who move to a new town to start over after a horrific encounter with their mother having some sort of psychotic break. They learn that the town that they've moved to has a weird secret focused around the town's meatpacking plant and the family that used to own it but that family mysteriously disappeared years ago. This season also has Rutger Howard in it, playing a very interesting role. And lastly, the first season, Candle Cove, which I still really, really enjoyed. A child psychiatrist is called home after having nightmares of his twin brother who passed away when they were just children. And 
his brother's death's connection to a very creepy puppet TV show that only children in the town seem to be able to see. This season is my least favorite only because the adults in the show seem to have no survival skills whatsoever and pretty much made me want to scream at the TV the entire time the adults were trying to do anything. But overall, the visuals, story, and creepiness were absolutely wonderful. So if you're looking for a fun show during those spooky watch sessions during Halloween and October, I would highly suggest this show. I'm really sad that there isn't more since there's so much more they could have done in later seasons and I really, really hope a station like Shudder picks it up and tries to do more with it, but you never know. Thanks for listening to A Geek Girl's Take. What will I talk about next week? Well, you're going to have to listen to find out. Everyone these days could use a little support, and your friends at the ESO Network are no different. With the ESO Network Patreon, the cool thing is, is when you help support us, it's you who will benefit. With four tiers starting for as little as 25 cents a week, you can listen to some of your favorite network podcasts early, hear exclusive content, maybe get some ESO swag, or even possibly take a shot at the geek seat. All you need to do is sign up at patreon.com backslash ESO Network. So that's going to wrap up another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. I want to thank everybody for joining us today. Mark Heffernan, thank you for joining us, my friend. Oh, I, I, I really enjoy talking about animation. It's, it's a lot of fun to talk about uh, TV animation, old animation, basically anything animated. Oh, well, you've been with us for quite a few years doing this with us. It's been pretty awesome. And it's, it was great to see you at DragonCon, actually, this year. Yeah, uh, this is my last year of volunteering at DragonCon. Unfortunately, my real-world job is working me an awful lot, and I just finally decided that I needed to take something off my plate. So next year, I'm just going to be going as an attendee. Oh, I can understand that. It's because it's probably so much work to be a volunteer at DragonCon. And you guys do so much work around that we don't even see. Oh, yeah, I mean... We're supposed to work 25 hours, but I'll be honest, we work a lot more than 25 hours most of the time. Oh, I'm sure. Well, well, yeah, you've been doing a great work for them, so you'll be missed, I'm sure, but it'll be good to see you anyway. Oh, I'm mm-hmm. still going to I'm gonna still be hanging out at the Brit track. I may even do a couple of panels for them, but I think sometimes you just need to take a break every so often. Absolutely. Oh, very much so. Very, very much so. Anything you want to shout out about, sir? I just want to mention, especially if you're fans of animation, uh, you need to check every so often on Kickstarter in particular. It, it just finished, but uh, so you can't you can't uh, you know pledge on it anymore. But uh, recently, Kickstarter had a pledge drive to restore the Mutt and Jeff cartoons from back in the 1920s. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, wow. which which I was able to pledge on. Uh, so, uh, eventually the Blu-ray will probably also be available for other people besides just people who pledge, but, you know, it's important, especially with the older animation, a lot of that stuff is in the public domain, so unless these, you know, people get money to actually, you know, do the restorations, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's very hard to, uh, get this stuff restored. Heck, it's even hard to find some of this stuff. So, 
Uh, it's definitely worth uh, checking out every so often on Kickstarter to see if there's a new animation uh, restoration project available. That is awesome. That is awesome. Definitely check it out, folks. And Mr. Mr. Mark McRae, thank you so much. Hey, it was a pleasure, absolute pleasure being a part of this Jetsons talk. And uh, Mark, it was nice meeting you as well. And uh, I really liked a lot of your insight about the Jetsons. Um, uh, Let's see. Uh, For me, what's happening? um, Do tell. I'm sorry. Do tell. Do tell. What's going on? (laughs) Um. My book, uh, The Paperboy Dimensional Adventures, uh, just dropped. And Ooh, very um, cool. so uh, I'm just slowly prepping that book and just getting ready to, you know, put some videos together and stuff to promote the book and everything. Um, it's a, it's sort of a superhero horror science fiction book. And uh, so I'm, I'm really, you know, probably prepping it, you know, right before Halloween of course. Uh, and uh, it's a lot of fun writing it and uh, characters I created in middle school and some real life adventures of me when I lived in a haunted brownstone. <laughs> so it's basically a superhero that's sort of like Superboy that tangles with the wrong villain, loses his powers, moves into years later, moves into a haunted house with his family, but comes out on the other end of that, like Dr. Strange. So mm. that's what the Paperboy Dimensional Adventures is about. Soon to be available at your local website. <laughs> awesome. That is awesome, dude. Yeah. That is really, really awesome. Cool. Can't wait to read it. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm excited for that. That story just sounds awesome. It just sounds awesome. And as always, you know, you also have a wonderful podcast too. Yeah. Yeah. The best Saturdays of our lives podcast that is uh, on the awesome ESO network. Uh, as, as we host the podcast, we talk about Saturday morning television and we pull the curtain back behind the scenes of what was going on with the industry from the 60s through the 1990s. And uh, I host that podcast with uh, Dan Klink. And uh, we talk about all kind of great stuff like the Jetsons and the Flintstones and uh, other other cartoons of interest. That's awesome. Lots dude. of fun. Keep up the great work. You know, mm-hmm. you guys both, you know, you guys look like you both had fun at Dragon Con and, you know, you just. Oh, oh. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what oh, happened at did. Dragon Con doesn't, we, we just don't talk about, it, you know. <laughs> right, right. Agreed. That's awesome, dude. And Mr. Mike Gordon, we made it through another one, my friend. We did, and as always, it's my pleasure. Anything you want to shout out about, sir? Uh, yes. Uh, we uh, October's coming up. In addition to the uh, wonderful episodes we've got as part of the countdown to Halloween that we're going to present to you, I also wanted to make mention and make sure everybody knows that uh, I think it'll be my well, it'll be my next convention for sure. Probably my last in-person convention of the year, but we'll see about that. Um, but October eighth. At uh, Peachtree Corners in Georgia is Monsterama Junior. It's being put on by the folks that do the Monsterama Con two-day event. This is just a one-day event, hence the junior part of it. Uh, but the uh, it's the same folks that run Monsterama, and uh, it's at a uh, it's at the Pickneyville Park Community Center. I'm uh, excited to be a part of it. I'm taking 
part. Uh, I should have a table. I'm participating in a couple panels. Um, it's going to be a great time. It's just a one day event. So I hope people can come out that day. Uh, there's going to be some great guests, uh, including Daniel Roebuck, who is playing grandpa in the new um, uh, Adams, uh, sorry, new Monsters movie, not the Adams Family reboot. That's something else. Um, uh, other names include uh, for guests include French Stewart, uh, Pauline Park, uh, Billy Redden, uh, of course, the award-winning Mark Maddox. How could I not mention him? Is going to be there. A lot of great fun. So I should have a table there as well. Uh, Peter will be with me. We'll be selling things, you know, tiki zombie things and all sorts of stuff as artwork on it. Um, come on out, uh, October eighth, uh, as the uh, as the promo p- poster says, "Come fly with us uh, for Monsterama Junior." That is awesome. That is awesome. You guys will have a great, great time. And, and Anthony and his crew put on a great show. They always they do. do. They always do. They do. All right. Uh, a couple of little different shout outs this, this time. Um, health update. Um, feeling much, much better from COVID. And folks, COVID is still nothing to laugh at. Even the president's like, oh, the pandemic is over. It isn't, folks. You can still get it kind of sucks um i know close to over 100 people or more that have gotten covid person you know and including myself and they caught it at dragon con and it was not fun um but i am on the road to recovery my energy level is still not 100 percent, but i'm finally out of quarantine which is nice it's like going out in the real world i felt like a newborn like <gasps> This is what it's like outside. Wow, this is awesome. So it was it was really good, and I was but I was able to do a lot of TV updates and catching up and stuff. And I know most everybody has watched this. You know, a lot of our listeners already. But while I was on, uh, you know, you know, hidden from the world, I, I got to watch the anime. Finally, watch the animated Superman cartoons from the 1990s, The Adventures of Superman, and had so much fun with those. Uh, thumbs up, folks, because I had already watched all of the Batman um, Batman cartoons, and I got to watch Brave and the Bold. I, I went all the way through. So I thought it's time to start doing Superman, and probably after this I'll do Justice League is what everyone's oh, telling good me. Good stuff. So good. And it is so much fun to be able to go in that order and not that I would recommend getting sick at all to be able to do it at all, but I definitely it's recommend. It's not a requirement. No, not at all. It is, but it's, it's uh, included in your HBO max subscription and they're restored. They look really good and everything. And if you ever get a chance to watch these and you know, it's, if you're not even a huge fan of Superman, it's still fun because you get to see the hero evolve, you know, literally the first episode is last son of Krypton. And, you know, it shows how he came, you know, and to metropolis and everything like that and how he gets slowly gets the fortress of solitude and you meet Supergirl, you get to go through the whole, you know, the whole process. And it is, a ton of fun and the voice acting is just outstanding in this and everything. So definitely recommend it. And please, if you get a chance to check it out, please do. Um, very happy to announce that ESO network is growing again. Uh, we played the promo last week. Actually, we have a new monkeys podcast, part of ESO. 
That's right, folks. We have the Monkeying Around podcast is now a proud member of the ESO Network. And they're reviewing not just the episodes of the TV show The Monkeys. They're also going by song by song with the albums and stuff. They're, they're reviewing, you know, each episode. I think they're doing a song and an episode. So it's really fun. And you guys got the Felton Nerdy crew joined by Elaine Sweatman. And so it's pretty cool to be able to, you know, hear them talk about the monkeys and, you know, they, I, my one requirement for them when they join the network, each episode has to actually start with the, the rump, you know, like the monkeys did. So <laughs> it's, it's pretty awesome. So definitely check it out. Monkeying around now part of the ESO network. And of course, we will be back again next week. Darren is going to be dropping by, and we're going to be talking a lot about a lot of what's going on in the LGBT community in 2022. We usually do movie reviews and everything, but we thought it'd be right to, you know, with everything that's going on in the world right now, to maybe, you know, touch base with what's going on in the LGBTQ and, you know, all the different acronyms what's going on in the community and everything. I think it's necessary. I think it's going to be a very interesting discussion to talk about. So join us, please, for that episode. And, you know, we would love to hear from you guys. Feedback is always welcome at feedback at earthstation1.com. Please write us. Please let us know what's going on in your lives. And as we always also like to say, thank you for listening to the Earth Station One podcast. We are powered by NSC Live TV. And you know what? We would love to, you know, if you guys want, please subscribe and tell all your friends about us. Five stars would be recommended. Of course, you can listen to Earth Station One wherever fine podcasts are found, including now, of course, you know, the usual Stitcher, Spotify. But we are also up on YouTube. That's right, folks. We are on YouTube. You can see our smiley faces every week now. And, you know, why not subscribe to Earth Station One? We put those episodes up uncut so you can listen to those and see us talk and mess up and goof up words and everything. It's pretty awesome to be able to do that. On behalf of myself, Mike Faber, of course, Mr. Mike Gordon, of course, Mark Heffernan and Mark McRae. So it's Mike, Mike, Mark, Mark. So if you're playing a bingo card, you pretty much got it straight this time. Thanks for listening, everyone. Stay safe. Hug your loved ones. And we'll see you here next time on the Air Station One podcast. Peace, and we are done. Boom. Yay. Jane, get Yay. me off this crazy thing. <laughs> You've been listening to the Air Station One podcast, a show by fans for fans. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to our show up on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are found. While you're up there, please rate us and remember to leave feedback. It would greatly be appreciated. And remember to tell your friends all about us while you're at it. Earth Station One is available on most social media sites where you can join some really great topics or chats. Help support our show by shopping through our Amazon.com link or purchasing very cool ESO Network clothing and merchandise at our T Public store. Links to both are found on the top of our ESO Network webpage. Become a patron of the ESO Network by backing us up on Patreon for as little as 25 cents a week. Go to patreon.com slash ESO Network to sign up. We want to hear from you. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com or call us at 404-963-9057. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the Earth Station 1 podcast. Peace, and we're done. 
This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.